without further ado. Let's go into Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. Um, I, uh, I was with two, two friends uh, this past Saturday. Um, Connor, whose mom works on staff here, Shannon, he's the oldest of the Smith kids. Um, I was with Connor and then a friend of mine, Anders. And you're going to meet Anders and his wife, Katie, a little bit later this summer. I've got a night where I'm going to do like Thomas and his friends, um, which is a little gratuitous, but I can do that because um, like I pick what happens. And so like, it's just going to be me and a couple of our, and Heather and a couple of our couple friends and that we've walked through a bunch of life together and it'll be, that, I'll, that's enough for right now. You'll love it. Um, I hope. If not, we'll do ice cream afterwards. Um, and so anyway, but Anders has a little boy who's also named Anders. So one we call Durs, one we call Anders. And uh, we were like, at the end of working together, me and my two friends and, uh, and little Durs, he, he said, let's pray. And we were like, I mean, we were like outside working, very sweaty, very gross, like just, we were just all ready to like not be in those clothes anymore and go do something else. And uh, we were like, out of the mouth of babes. Okay, let's pray. What should we pray for, Anders? And he said, we should thank God because it's good to do hard things and it's good to do scary things and they make you stronger. We were like, let's pray. So I'll pray right now for us. Lord, we look at this passage and we see some guys that you called to go on a boat and it was hard and it was scary but as they were on that boat with Jesus, when they left, they came out stronger. And so, Lord, would you just help us to go into the storms that you call us into? And may our faith be stronger because we see the power of Jesus in those moments. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, I've drawn some really good pictures. And we're going to go over chapter 8 of Matthew in picture form. These are super good. Okay, ready? Now, <clears throat> this guy right here, he's a leper, and this is a Roman soldier, and this is a bunch of sick people. And what we see in the first part of Matthew chapter 8, it's really important to look at the whole context of like what's happening in a story. And so what we see in the first part of Matthew chapter 8 is we see a, a, a theme going on authority, and it's Jesus's authority, and his authority in the first part is over sickness. And this is really important because Matthew's going to tell this, this whole chapter to show different types of authority that Jesus has. And he heals the leper, he heals the centurion's servant, and then a whole bunch of people come to him to be healed. And so we see his authority over sickness. And then these other two fellows over here, one is holding a scroll. I didn't have to tell you that, though. Um, and the other one has his thumb, and he's pointing back, and he's walking back. I didn't have to tell you that either. It's super obvious from these drawings. So <clears throat> what we see in the next part is the passage that I preached last week, and that's where a scribe comes up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And the scribe's deal for following Jesus is, it's good for both of us that I follow you. I can write a bunch of stuff down. You need me, Jesus. But Jesus says, if you follow me, just know the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He tells him, you will not have a life of comfort if you follow me. That's not, the, that's not part of the deal. You're not guaranteed that. 
another disciple comes up to him and says, hey, I'm going to follow you. Just let me first go bury my father. And if you have questions about that, because it sounds like a really harsh statement where Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You can go to the podcast, listen to last week. But what we see in this section here is once again, Jesus definitely has authority. And the interesting thing is his authority this time is over us. And we see that he's asking to have authority over the people that are going to follow after him. So we see a surrendering of the will when we follow after Jesus. And then today we're going to see Jesus in the storm. And once again, same chapter, very interesting. You got sick people, you got two folks that say they're going to follow him. Jesus has authority over all of that. And what we're going to see here is another situation of authority. It is the theme of this chapter, and this is authority over nature. And so we have authority over sickness, authority over us, authority over nature, where he's going to calm the wind and the waves. And then we're not going to get into this, but at the end of the chapter, there's a famous part where Jesus encounters two men that are possessed with demons, and he casts the demon out into the pig. I was a little bit proud of the pig. I didn't think that was that bad. And what we see here is that at the end of this chapter, what happens is we once again see authority, and this time we see authority over spirits. And so what we have in one chapter, in a few short verses, is Matthew setting the stage to say, what doesn't this man have authority over? He's got authority over sick people. He's got authority over well people. He's got authority over nature. He's got authority over the spirits. What doesn't this man have authority over? And you should be asking the question right now of yourself. Well, does he have authority over me? Matthew's making you wonder that as he tells this chapter, but does he have authority over me? And so when we get to these verses, and I'll read them to you again. We're almost near the end of the chapter where he's showing he has another type of authority. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him so that the boat, uh, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and they woke him and they said, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? I wonder if the disciples would play back in their mind this story as they recalled it. Because, you know, traumatic, traumatic events, they come back to you in pieces when you relive them. That's part of PTSD. When you have something traumatic that happens, you remember bits and pieces and you like kind of relive it, but your brain kind of blocks stuff off so you can't kind of, you can't really comprehend the whole thing all at once. And I wonder, as they recalled this story, I wonder how long it took for them to realize, wait a minute, he's the one that put us on the boat. He's the one that put us in the storm. That whole scary moment was because he got on the boat and asked us to get on the boat too. You know, I, I think it's time for us to go back though and remember, never does Jesus promise comfort. The scribe 
was told that, you know, he had no place to lay his head. Um, and I think we have to ask how much of the, how, how, what percentage of our lives is in the pursuit of comfort? A really good place to stop right here and ask is how often are your prayers basically, essentially, God, keep me comfortable. Don't let this happen. Don't let that happen. Watch over so-and-so. Protect this. Protect that. How much of your focus of your being is on safety? And maybe another really good thing to ask is, how much of your hero's focus was on comfort and safety? No hero. Nobody that we're like, now she is the woman. Now he is the man. None of them are we like because they really pursued comfort. No, it's, it's folks like, uh, you know, they say, I, I haven't done a study on this exactly, but I read from somebody else who did a study. I don't know if it's true or not. They say that, uh, that Napoleon and Abraham Lincoln are the two characters in modern history that have the most books written about them. Neither Napoleon nor Abraham Lincoln's whole goal was I want comfort. The pursuit of heroes is not comfort. And Jesus is about to to make some scared guys. He's turning them into heroes. And he's showing them that he's the ultimate hero. Um, I'll show you real quick. I had this picture of, uh, I was scrolling through Instagram and, uh, and Jimmy Chin was on there. I don't know if you know who Jimmy Chin is. You don't have to know who Jimmy Chin, Jimmy Chin is. But Jimmy Chin, um, he's, he's any climbing movie you've seen, he filmed it. He was behind the, the lens of it. And so Jimmy took his, um, his, his daughter and, uh, and somebody else in their family climbing. Like, those are little girls. Those are not, those are not grownups. And, uh, and they are right next to Jimmy. And he's like, we had a great day. And then if you go to the caption, you, Jimmy, anybody can follow Jimmy, Jimmy Chin. You can read the caption. But by the smiley face in the caption, it says, we might have sandbagged the girls a little bit, meaning we told them it was an easier climb than it really was. And then after that, it says, a few tears were shed. They ran out of food and water and repelled in the dark for a 14-hour push. Overall, a success with lots of smiles. And he goes on and he tells the story and you're like, okay, if I had to gauge success based on comfort, this would be an epic fail. But the real things in life, we don't gauge on comfort. And yet so much of our existence, can I retire by 55? Can I have this much money and move into this neighborhood? Um, if I'm going to have kids, I need to start by this day so that I can have the four that I want. And I got to start looking at the schools I got to put them into. And our whole life is basically bubble wrapped. And what I love that Jesus is doing is he's shaking that up because he puts them in this situation. You know, you, you look at this, this passage and what you see in, in verse 23 is that Jesus, he got in the boat. So he gets in the boat. And then what do we see? We see his disciples followed, so they get in the boat. Jesus led and was there first in the dangerous situation. He never never has us go do something for him 
that he's going to just sit back and watch on. And what happens as soon as they get in the boat, in the boat, verse, verse 24, and behold, as soon as they get in the boat, there arose a great storm. And the boat is swamped by the waves. And I love this. But he was asleep. You know, the, as, as Jesus so often does, he, he got the guys to take the first step without really telling them what the next step would be. The first step was a few chapters back when he was like, leave your nets, come and follow me. And some of you did that. I mean, a couple of you that are here tonight, you got baptized this past Sunday. I gave your whoop back to you that you left, by the way. You got it? Okay, great. Um, you got to take off the jewelry and stuff before you get in the tub. And so uh, uh, anyway, we were just having conversations. It's all good. Uh, but yeah, so like a couple of you got baptized. Like you came forward and you, you, you gave your testimony and you got baptized. And some of you are experiencing this like leave the nets behind and you're like, I'm following Jesus and this is good. And, and it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and the problem is we, we kind of tell the gospel. I talked about not self-serving the gospel, self-selling the gospel last week. We sometimes tell the gospel like that's all you got to do. And some of you did, like you left a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you were living with somebody and you were like, I shouldn't do that unless we're going to get married. Uh, you like, some of you, like I had a conversation the other day, some of you have like changed your sexuality in order to make yourself more aligned with the Lord. Like you've done a lot of things, like when it came to like leaving your nets behind and following Jesus. And we would just think like, good job, that's all there is, you're done. The problem is that's like, that's like the first step. And what we see in chapter eight, because they get called in chapter four, what we see in chapter eight, this kind of stuff is the second step. And once we start walking with Jesus, we get baptized and we give a testimony, we, we leave a relationship, we change some things. Then, then it's like nothing bad should happen until you get fired, or you're like my friend Zach who was having lunch with somebody the other day and the, that person got a phone call saying that they might have cancer from the doctor. Or you get accused or broken up with or you have to break up again with somebody who is a good Christian this time. Or you get a new boss and they're the worst, aren't they all? You have family problems. Uh, your car breaks down. You can't pay the bills. These are the waves that crash in over the side after you've already said, I'm in, Jesus. What more do you want from me? You, you've already like, this is, this is the part where I think the disciples were like a little bit exhausted. They're like, we left it all. Why do we have to go through the ship sinking? Why couldn't it just go to the other side? Let's go do some more ministry for you. One of the things Jesus is showing is this is normal Christian life. And so, I think another frustrating thing in this verse is just this whole idea that like he was asleep. But I also think there's beauty in that. Do you think it would be appropriate for him to be like worked up like the other guys? That is not the Jesus I want to follow. Um, <clears throat> have you ever been around 
Somebody, speaking of climbing people, have you ever, you, do you know who Alex Honnold is? He's the guy that Jimmy Chin films. Um, and so Alex, he's the one that like climbs the stuff with, with no ropes or, uh, or, you know, no, no pitons, no cams, no nothing. He just like stretches and then goes up El Cap. Um, and so, I mean, he, he trains a lot, but Alex Honnold one day was doing one of his free solos. So he has no rope, no equipment. He's just, he's like, I'm just going to go up. El Cap, and he passes people that are like, I mean, like they're in their harnesses, they are clipped in uh, to the anchors on the rock. They are like, they're, some of them are like super nervous, some of them run out of food and water, and he just walks by them with nothing on and like stops, like holding on to the rock, and he's like, y'all doing all right? This weather's amazing. It's so great. And then he's like, I gotta keep going, I gotta turn to make some time. And, uh, and he goes, now, when somebody like that, who is that calm when things are that hard, is near you, I don't know, if anybody like, maybe there's another one, maybe like, uh, like it's Memorial Day weekend, and I'm not really good at water sports, so I'm going to talk about that anymore. Okay, let's scratch that. Let's pretend it's February. Let's say you're skiing. Have you ever been like to the edge of your first double black, when you're like, shouldn't you be able to see what's past like the tip of my skis shouldn't you know what's down there and you can't the first time you get on a double black you're like this is not safe this is bad I will be in the hospital if they can find me and so when you get to the edge of the double black and you have to drop in on something and uh and when dropping in is not like a nice term you literally have to drop in when you're like I'm gonna drop in here goes keep an eye on me if you can um and then somebody else comes by. And in my case, it's usually a 10-year-old <laughs> with their ski instructor and their seven little friends. And they all just drop in and they're like, whoa, 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 look at me. And you're like, I don't want to look at you. It's amazing. Um, and so like all of a sudden, my confidence soars because they're just like calm as a cucumber. They're actually enjoying the chaos. They seem to get better when it gets more difficult. That's why he's sleeping. He is not afraid of any storm that these men or these people will ever face. He is fine with the storm, especially the storms he brings you into. So he brings them into this storm and he has no problem sleeping through it. When we get to verse 25, what do they do? They finally kind of wake up a little bit and they, they, they went, that's important, and they woke him. And then they say this incredible little, little sentence, save us, Lord, we are perishing. I think that this is so important because they... They awaken God. It's supposed to read that way. Jesus, the Son of Man, is God. They awaken God. Now, how in the world do you awaken God? That's got to be like metaphorical. In this case, it's real, and I believe it's metaphorical. It's real because he's a man and he's exhausted. And he's sleeping, and these boats are little. I don't know how he slept in this boat. He had to have been beyond exhausted. 
but he sleeps. And it's metaphorical because we know God never sleeps nor slumbers. He, he who watches over Israel will keep you, so the scriptures say. But to wake up God, the action of awakening God to action, it's as simple as remembering him and calling out. The, the problem is, most of the time in the storms, and remember, I'm speaking specifically to storms that Jesus himself is calling you into. The problem is, most of the time, as soon as the storm hits, we forget him and we solve it ourselves. We call mom and dad. We call roommates. We start asking all our friends. And in a sense, he just remains asleep. Not because he's disinterested, but because I think he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to invoke the Lord to be a part of what's happening is to remember, first of all, that he's there. And second of all, it is to ask him, please show up. Please help me out. And then I love their prayer because their prayer, I don't even think they realized the depth of what they prayed. This is the sinner's prayer. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. This is the prayer of the thief on the cross. This is the prayer for every one of you to some degree when you came to know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. This is a good prayer to keep in your repertoire. This is the kind of prayer that when you get the phone call or the news or the thing or the impossible is facing you and you know you're walking with the Lord and you know he's put you in this spot, this is the prayer to pray. Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And I think you're gonna get the same response if you'll pray that, that Jesus gave these guys. And, and at the very end, I'll just go ahead and tell you this spoiler alert. I have, um, I decided that I would put all my notes for all the slides on a QR code. So if you're like, I didn't get that quote or didn't get that quote, there's a quote I'm about to skip that's a great quote, but all you gotta do is take a picture at the end and you can have it. But there's this, this quote, it's a long quote. I won't tell you the whole thing, but at the very end of the quote, it's about how Galileans and, and, uh, and, Jewish people in general would relate to water and storms because they called the water the abyss. Think about it. There's no sonar. They don't know how deep it is. They don't know what lives at the bottom of it. They just know that when people go down, they don't come back up. They don't understand weather systems and how these waves get so big one minute and they're calm the next. They're in dangerous territory. So they called it the abyss. But the one thing they did, they did remember is they remembered Genesis chapter 1. And they remember that whenever they're in the abyss and a storm comes up, that that is how the world started and that God can control the chaos and bring order out of it. And I think there is another quote that I will read to you that um, J.C. Riley says, and he says, what a vivid picture we have here of the hearts of thousands of believers. Listen to this, this is such a great quote. How many have faith and love enough to forsake all for Christ's sake and to follow him wherever he goes and yet are full of fears in the hour of trial. 
How many have grace enough to turn to Jesus in every trouble crying, Lord, save us, and yet not grace enough to lie still and believe in the darkest hour that all is well? Truly believers have reason indeed to be clothed with humility. Let the prayer, Lord, increase our faith, always form part of our daily petitions. We never perhaps know the weakness of our faith until we are placed in the furnace of trial and anxiety. Blessed and happy is that person who finds by experience that his faith can stand the fire and that he can say with Job, though he slays me, yet I will trust in him. We have a great reason to thank God that Jesus, our great high priest, is very compassionate and tenderhearted. He knows our frame. He considers our infirmities. He does not cast off his people because of defects. He pities even those whom he reproves. The prayer even of little faith is heard and gets an answer. What I want for you I'll just cut to the chase. What I want for you is to know Jesus so well that when the boat starts to get swamped and the waves start to crash in and everybody around you is losing their mind, that you climb to the front of the boat and you grab on to the bow and you let the salt hit you in the face And get in between your teeth because you're smiling. And you're saying, Lord, I don't know how you're going to save this one, but it's going to be awesome. I've seen you do it once. You're going to do it twice. My faith is in you. We're going to get through this thing. And if we don't, I'll see you soon. To have that confidence That's the kind of confidence that the world, when they look for what they want a Christian to be, that's what they're looking for. Because they're seeing in you a hope that is greater than you and your frailty. But you can't get there until the boat encounters a storm. That's why James says in James 1, He says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance run the course and have its perfect result. As time would go on, and as the disciples would experience more and more, quote unquote, rocky seas, their confidence, their countenance, their smiles would all start coming to life because they knew my captain can sail any vessel through any waters. And he got me in this boat. He'll get me to the other side. That's why when you read Paul in the book of Acts, Paul's like, oh yeah, we were shipwrecked. And so anyway, and you're like, whoa, can you just skip over that? If you've been through all the things with Jesus that Paul had, you can skip over a shipwreck. Because his hope and his trust was so strong in the one who is the strongest. You know, at the end of this, these last two verses, it says in 26 and 27, that he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose. 
Do you realize the whole time this thing is happening, he's still laying down? That is a man who is not concerned about the things that concern us. Have you ever had your friends come in and they're like, you've got to come see what's happening. And you're like, I am very asleep. Have you ever had, like, have you ever had the people that are like, I've got to talk to you. And like, you're, you're, it's like very, very important to them. But in the moment, you're like, this is not important. Leave me alone. And you like lay there and you listen to them tell you the thing and you're like, okay, I'll go check it out with you. I loved, I had not, until studying the passage for this sermon, I had not seen that part, then he rose. I just assumed they like, I mean, these boats are small, like I said. I just assumed he like sat up and he was like, what's going on? Let me take care of it, you people of little faith. But no, he was laying down the whole time. Which should give us great encouragement for whatever trial we might be in or find ourselves in in the near future. He has authority. That's the emphasis of this whole chapter. He's not worried about it, especially if he brought you there. Now, he cares for you, but he's not worried and fretting over your thing. Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And in Matthew chapter four, verses 38 and 39, it it tells us the words that are missing from, or, or Mark chapter four, it tells us the words that are missing in Matthew's accounts. And the words are this, he says, peace be still. And so I looked those up in the Greek and the Greek, it's not the usual word for peace that's usually used in Greek. It's a different word for peace and it's peace be still and peace. To put it in modern English, this is exactly what Jesus said. He got up, stood on the boat, and said, hush, shut your mouth. That is a literal translation of what he said. It was, he talked to the waves and the wind like an owner who has a well-trained dog speaks to them. And the storm hushed and shut its mouth. And they said, who is this man? It's over as fast as it starts. It should give you new hope, by the way, when you read the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. The more we walk with him, the more we say it sure has. Look, I'm going to land the plane here, but there's one elephant in the room that I have not addressed. What about the storms that we create? Because this was a storm that God made and God led people to be into that he cared deeply about. I hate to say it, but just to call a spade a spade, most of the storms in our lives are ones that we make. Well, he's got a really good answer for those two. The best example of a storm that I can think a literal storm that someone made for themselves is the book of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter chapter one, Jonah runs from God, gets on a boat, goes away from where God told him to go to, and then a storm comes up and they chunk Jonah overboard. 
And Jonah says, it's me. I'm the reason the storm's happening. I'm going to break this boat apart. God's mad at me. Throw me overboard. And they're like, done. And so, I mean, you can read it for yourself. And so it's like a very merciful crew. And they, they toss him overboard. <clears throat> the storm stops, but a fish then swallows Jonah. Jonah's not having his best life. And so when this fish swallows Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, he says some really, really interesting lines. And I think I had it marked somewhere in my Bible. Jonah's like a hard book to find. It's like little, there it is. Okay, in Jonah chapter 2, he says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. And he goes on and he gives this incredible, this incredible poetry of how he called to the Lord. But go back to verse two. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. The same God who leads us into storms that we're supposed to go through so frequently gets us out of storms we were never supposed to be in. And you know what Jesus kept saying over and over again as his ministry progressed and people kept saying, do another magic trick, do another magic trick, do another magic trick. Jesus kept saying, here's the magic trick I'll give you. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Well, what's the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jesus said, so the son of man will be in the earth three days and three nights. Why would Jesus have to take on the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is the sign of someone who jumps ship and gets in trouble with God. The sign of Jonah is someone who takes the wrath of God on themselves. Jesus is saying, I'm going to lead my faithful, and they're going to go to some hard places, but I'm going to make them brave. I'm going to make them strong. They're going to be strong witnesses for me. But before they get there, a bunch of them are going to create their own storms. And not only will I bail so many of them out of their storms where they'll get to see me bail them out, but I'm going to bail them out of their biggest storm. Their biggest storm is being separated from God and having to undergo the wrath of God. And so I'll be Jonah. I'll stay under the wrath of God. I'll receive the punishment that was due for you and for me. The thing we marvel at is Jesus. At Jesus is he has this incredible authority and yet lets it all go for a moment in time to undergo the wrath of God that we might always get to walk in his purpose and presence and power and grace and mercy. I think that's part of why this story is such a classic. It shows us a lot of what walking with Jesus is like. It shows us a ton of who Jesus is. But it also begs the question, what about if it's a storm I put myself in? And he says, I have an answer for that too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you love us. 
that you lead us to places that are difficult, Lord. And you make us brave to follow you into even more difficult places. And we get to see your power and your glory and your influence spread. We get to see people come to know you. We get to see your authority over all things. But I also thank you, Jesus, that so often you bail us out of storms we make for ourselves. And you bailed us out of the ultimate storm, separation from God by your death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Jesus, all authority on heaven and heaven and on earth has been given to you. Lord, may we now, by your grace, give you all authority over us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.